Bible says, Psalm 18, uh, the superscription says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Aren't you grateful to God when he delivers you and actually does what he says he can and will do? There's almost a collective euphoria that comes over us like, wow, it happened. I've been delivered. I've come out of the other side of this trial. And David is writing Psalm 18 in reference to that. Of course, he had a number of enemies, one of which was Saul, who is not a good enemy to have. You don't want an enemy that has lots of power, like a king, like a president. And um, in his case, he had, a, he had a terrible enemy, but the Lord delivered him. And in response to that, David said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. It's like there's a collective sigh when you come out of the other side of a really bad trial. You've been under a lot of duress and pressure and oppression even, which was in his case. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation in my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, David says, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength. And it's as if David says, in whom I will trust, he says, after coming out of a long, dark trial of his life, being oppressed and persecuted greatly by someone that was in great power and authority, he comes out on the other side and says, but I've got a God that kept me through all my trials. I've got a God that saved me from all of my difficulties. And he says, parenthetically, comma, in whom I will trust. It's as if he says, I have learned to trust in the Lord. My message here this morning, very, very simple out of this psalm. My message this morning is simply learning to trust in the Lord. Learning to trust in the Lord. Sometimes that's a skill we have to acquire. Sometimes it's like going to school, right? You've got to learn your equ the equation. You've got to learn the mathematics of that. It's something we have to learn because instinctively sometimes it's not something we're comfortable with. We're comfortable with trusting a lot of things. It might be our own strength or our money or our job or our government or people or an organization or it, it could be a number of things. But there's a point where we can literally learn to trust in the Lord. And that's what I want to preach about this morning, trust. So when I talk about this concept of trust, I realize it's, it's no small thing. It's a concept that some of us may candidly have been taught the exact opposite of that. Life may have thrown things at us. We were maybe raised in a family. We were maybe raised in an environment where it wasn't conducive to trust. Maybe, maybe you were taught not to trust. There's the story of the little boy who was standing on the outside of his, his uh, the deck on the outside of his house, and he climbed up on, his father actually told him, he said, I want you to climb up on the railing of the deck. And it was a number of steps up, and his father told him, I want you to stand up on the railing of that deck. And, of course, the little boy got up there, and he was shaky, and he was, he was really worried, but his dad told him to do that. And so the dad walked all the way down underneath, and he said, okay, son. 
He said, I want you to jump off of the deck. And, of course, the child was apprehensive. I, I, I'm scared, Dad. He said, you heard. You just, you just jump off the edge of the deck. And the kid said, well, I, 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 don't know. I, don't, I don't know if I can do this, Dad. I'm scared. He's six or seven years old. And Dad says, you just, you just jump off of that deck. I'm here. And the child jumped off of the deck. And when he jumped off of the deck, the dad stepped back and let him crumple and crash to the ground. And when he did that, he picked up his son, dusted him off, helped him dry his tears, and he looked at him sternly and said, Son, let that be a lesson. Don't you ever trust anybody. And you know what? So when I, I recognize when I use the word trust, it's a difficult thing. You, I, when I say the word trust, that may be something that you're like, you don't understand what I've been through in life. You may say, and I realize I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. I have no silver ball that I'm looking into and, and any of that. But I, I, I probably would know that there are some people in this place that you've been used and abused and hurt and broken and people that you thought that you could trust, that you should have been able to trust. They were seemingly trustworthy people. And yet at the end of the day, you, you found out after a long, testy trial that, that the people that you thought you could trust, you, you just can't trust them. And maybe you work for a boss in a company that you'd put yourself into for decades, and now you're there, and you're like, man, I put all my trust in here, and it was unfounded. It wasn't a good trust. And so all of us in life can go through painful scenarios that, that strip us in many ways of our trust. And what we can do is like many do, they around their life, they dig a great big trench around their life, and into that moat they fill it with water, and into that water they put slippery, slimy, poisonous snakes, and they, they put crocodiles, and they put a drawbridge down, and then they say, I'm raising the drawbridge, and I'm surrounded by a moat, and you know what? I'm not going to let anybody in because I've been hurt, because I, I, I've, I've had my trust broken before. I know what it's like to, to trust in people and then for people to break uh, that trust. But the sad truth is that it may protect you, but at the same time, if you don't let people in, they can't help you either. We've all been disappointed at times in life. People have disappointed us. People that we thought that we could put our trust in. We're like, man, I, I thought of all the people in the world, I could put my trust in them. And maybe we put our, our trust in, 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 in systems and government and, and all of this. And, and, and we find ourselves in a place. You can even put your, your trust sometimes in other saints of God. I hate to tell you this. If you put all your trust in just a saint, I'm not saying that we should be paranoid people. But you know what? At some point in time, if you attend this church long enough, Somebody in this church is going to disappoint you. And if you say, well, I'm never going to that church again. I, you know, there's hypocrites in that church. Well, there's I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. There's hypocrites in this church. And if you're looking for a perfect church, we had one until you showed up. Huh? Right? None of us are perfect. We have, we have times of disappointment. We have, we have times where, where people we, we think we can trust in. And you say, well, man, you're talking about church right now. You're talking about the context of Christianity. I, you know, I mean, are you telling me that, I'm, I, 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 that, that there's going to be times I'm disappointed? Can I tell you this this morning? Listen up. God is not going to exempt you 
from times of disappointment in your life. He's not going to exempt me from times of disappointment in my life. There's going to be times in my life we don't preach about this enough. I've been reading a book as of lately, and it's, it's if I preach it the way I read it in the book, some of you are, are going to freak out. Because in the book the guy talked about in the New Testament church, there's one of the most common words in the New Testament that's never talked about is suffering. Suffering. Are you excited yet? Suffering. Suffering. Do you know that there are groups throughout our world, Christian groups in China, behind the red curtain, different communist regimes where there's incredible brutality that takes place and and, and, and in places where the Christians in those places, they not only count on suffering, they look for suffering. In fact, they look for opportunities to suffer, to suffer for the name of Jesus. And here we are in a cushy 21st century American Christianity. And we're like, what you talking about, preacher? The radio preacher tells us all the time that it's going to be blessings, 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 blessings. Can I tell you, God blesses, and we thank God that God blesses. But sometimes one of the greatest blessings that we can go through, and I'm not saying any of us ask for it, but one of the greatest blessings we can go through sometimes is suffering because it's the trial of your faith that is more precious than that of gold. It is your trial of your faith that brings things out of you that nothing else can bring out of you. It's the trials that cause us to pray sometimes when we don't pray when things are going super well. I hadn't prayed, planned on preaching about this, but you're awful quiet, which makes me want to preach longer on this part of the little message here. Suffering, suffering, sacrifice. But the truth is, this wonderful God that, that we serve doesn't exempt us from trials of life. He doesn't just give us a crash helmet and put our life in a little bubble and say, guess what, you're never going to hurt, you're never going to have tribulation, you're never going to have adversity, you're never going to have problems and any of those kind of things. We are not exempted from that. But can I tell you one thing, that in every trial that we go through, we got a guarantee that we've got a God that's going to walk with us through the trial. we got a God that's going to keep us. We've got a God that though we're tried mightily, we've got a God that's going to help us. We've got a God that said, I'll be a strength to you in your time of trouble. We've got a God that will help us in these kind of times of life. And so our faith gets tested. Because I'll tell you this, untested faith is really not faith. It is not until the unheated metal is put under the fire that the, the strength of that metal is known. And God allows the fiery trial of suffering and purifying to come into our lives at times. But thank God we've got a resource that we can go to. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes it's in our weakness that we find God to be stronger to us than in any other season of our life. Maybe on the high times we don't sense it as much, but when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, God said, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. I'll walk with you through the trial of your life. And he allows us to learn how to trust in him. The writer of Psalm 18 is none other than the great David of Scripture. 
David, in the Old Testament, of course, often we read the highlights of, of David's life, the high times of his life, but one common characteristic of every great Bible giant is the fact that every one of them, they went through trials and suffering in their life. David is, is no different than that. When we read about him as a very young man, the prophet Samuel brings the prophet Samuel is getting ready to anoint the next king of Israel, and he says, bring all your sons, Jesse, before me, because one of your sons is going to be none other than the next anointed king of Israel. And he parades the son, and there is Eliab. And Eliab, that great, big, strapping, strong, and mighty man, Samuel said, surely this must be the next king of Israel. And God said, no, he's not the one. And the next one comes along, and he's a fine young man. He says, surely this is the next king of Israel, and, and he's not the one. And all the sons of Jesse, Samuel goes through all of them and says, none of these are the anointed of the Lord. Do you have yet another son? And here's this boy that his dad didn't even care enough to pull him out of the backside of the wilderness desert because his dad didn't even think enough of him to consider him that possibly this, this young little lad would be the next king of Israel. What are you saying? I'm saying that David knew what it was to be rejected even by his father. It was him that said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. I do find it interesting that is not necessarily a broad-based theological fact. He didn't say all humanity was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. David said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Which brings into question a little bit about his birth. Potentially he had, he had a birth that was not something that his dad was proud of and he hid him away in a desert somewhere. Wouldn't even consider him. He knew what it was to be rejected by his own father. Not only that, as a young man, he's, he's developing in his relationship with God. He's doing what has been put in front of him to do. He's taking care of sheep. He is, he is developing the giftings in his life. He's becoming an anointed musician, singing his songs in the desert that no one else can hear, but the sheep and the stars heard him as he was developing the gifts in his life. But something inside of him was saying, but, but I want to be good before my God. I want to have a relationship with my God, and that he did. And so when he went to visit his brothers in the valley of Elah and saw them as this big giant galoot Goliath stands out in the field and says, give me a man. And something rises up within his heart and says, is there not a cause? Isn't there something worth fighting for? And he enters, gets ready to enter into the battle and his brothers look at him and they begin to undercut him like they had done made false accusations against him. Is this the naughtiness of your heart? Your, your motives are impure. The reason why you've come out to do this, obviously there's no good reason for that. So he's rejected by his father. He's rejected by his brothers. And yet, he's a man of honorable character. He's a man of deep, intense relationship with God. And listen, it seems to do him no good. At first glance, it appears that all of these sacrifices that he made, it's not really paid off. He risks his life on the battlefield with the sling and five smooth stones and honorably and courageously kills the giant. And yet in response to that, what does he get? Of course, he was celebrated, but that celebration brought the ire of the most powerful man in the nation, none other than the king, that now he's got a death wish, and everywhere that David goes, he's running from a death a devil-inspired man that's throwing javelins at him. And this, this, this king is throwing javelins at him. And I think David, if he were here today, would tell us, listen, living for God hasn't always been easy for me. 
Living for God at times has been very difficult for me. And even when the time comes that he's anointed to be the next king of Israel and sits on the mighty throne of Israel, he looks around and his own family is dealing with incredible problems. His own son rapes his half-sister, Tamar, and he deals with the heartache of that. And here's a man that's walking through life broken, facing the challenges of life. His own son Absalom rises up against him and tries to win the hearts of the people against him and tries to steal the hearts of Israel. And yet David does not raise his hand against his own son. His best friend Ahithophel, that is his trusted uh, counselor, he says we used to take sweet counsel together when we went to the house of God together. And yet Ahithophel turns against him. What are you saying? What I'm saying here this morning is that David had times in his life that he had no other recourse or alternative than to say, I'm going to throw my life into the hands of God, and I've got to learn to trust in the Lord. I've got to learn to trust in God when my family's falling apart. I've got to learn to trust in God when my best friend forsakes me. I've got to learn to trust in God when I'm rejected by my father. I've got to learn to trust in God when everything against me that should be going right is going wrong. I've got to learn to trust in God. And So when I read Psalm 18 at the beginning of this message, it is not with some Pollyannish admonition from an untested person who just haphazardly says, oh, trust in the Lord, as if I've gone through nothing. It's a man that has gone through tremendous difficulty in, in life, and he learned how to trust in God. I tell you, there are times in our life that God will navigate and put us into a place where we learn how to trust in God. We learn how to trust in God. And it's not always an easy place. Bob Vernon, formerly with the LAPD, tells of how the department, they would test the bulletproof vest and demonstrate to rookie officers their value of the bulletproof vest by taking a mannequin and then putting the bulletproof vest on the mannequin. And then the officer would stand back with a pistol and he'd fire bullets into the bulletproof vest. And then, of course, they would all come around that mannequin. They would take the bulletproof vest off. They'd look and say, look at it. It didn't penetrate, didn't hit the mannequin. And then, then he would look and say, okay, now are you ready to put the bulletproof vest on? Are you ready for the test? What I'm saying is at some point in all of our lives, God trusts us enough that he lets us out of the bubble, if you will. He lets us out of the bubble. What do you mean by that? I mean that real life will hit us. Real life. I've got good news for the Christian church on this Sunday morning. That real life, that our God is powerful enough to this gospel works in real life. This gospel works in the real world. This isn't just something for the platitudes of a Pentecostal Sunday. Trusting in the Lord, it works on Monday. It works on Tuesday. Come on, I know I'm preaching to Pentecostals on a, sun, on, a, on a Sunday morning here. What do you mean by that? I mean because we have ourselves a good altar service, and we're going to have better ones too. We need to pull that organ out. Boom, 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 boom. Come on, somebody. And I, you know what I'm talking about. You come up to the altar, and you're praying in the altar. 
and the Holy Ghost fills you and somebody lays hands on you and you get a prophetic word or you pray for someone else and the electricity flows through you and you can feel the, the presence of God. Woo! And man, it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday. And on Sunday, we're like this. Woo! God can do anything, anytime, anywhere, anyhow. He's my God. Woo! And then Monday comes. I'm like, oh, I don't feel very good. It's Monday morning. That's if all that faith that we experience on Sunday, if we're not careful, gets drained out of the bottom of our bucket. But can I tell you that what works and touches us on Sunday works on Monday? In fact, that's where it really needs to be lived out. Guess what? It works on Tuesday, Dale. It works. We're in the middle of, of the challenging situation at work, and we're like, oh, God, what do I do now? The same power of God I felt on Sunday morning, come on, church, is the same God that we can call on on Wednesday when we're going through a trial and we begin to reach out to the Lord. You know why? Because God's going to pull the bubble away sometimes. And furthermore, God is looking to have some tested saints of God that have been there and done that. Yep, I got the T-shirt. I've been through the trial, but I've learned to trust in God. I've learned that God will get me through every time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say it like this. We need some people in the church that can say, we've been there and we've done that. And I'll give you a testimony. We've been there and we've done that. But we've got a God that got us through that situation in our life. Oh, yes, we've been through the grinder. But, oh, God got us through it. Hallelujah. We've got a testimony. I came out the other side of the trial. I've drank of the bitter dregs of bitterness. And I know what it's like to be in the bitter time of life. And I've drank of the bitterness of betrayal. But I can tell you that I've come through the other side of the bitterness. And I'm better now, not bitter. Because I've got a God that took care of me. Come on, we got to tell the world that this thing works, this gospel works. There needs to be some people in the church that say, I've been through depression that was so deep and so dark that I never thought I was going to make it through. But here I am standing to testify that the Lord's brought me through the darkness. He brought me out on the other side of the depression, and I'm not depressed anymore. The despair and the spirit of suicide that was on my mind, it's gone now I've been delivered by the hand of the Lord and I'm going to testify to the good hand of a mighty God that's taking care of me and 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 I've learned to trust in the Lord this works that's what our world needs to know our world needs to know this our world needs to have some people in the church that can stand and testify you're at the workplace and you can testify man I had sin in my life that I couldn't break loose from. I had sin in my life that I couldn't break loose from, but God delivered me. Come on. Some people to testify, I used to be bound by pornography, but I've learned how to trust in God, and I'm not bound by pornography anymore. The Lord's brought me through. 
I've used as a standing example for years over and over again. I've used David Hall. I've told people that come into the church, because here's the thing that we got to realize about people coming into the church and being born again. Coming into the kingdom would be a better way of saying it. They've been born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, born of the water and spirit. you got to know when people are born again, at that moment, they are 100% saved. Amen? But like David, David said, he restoreth my soul. You get it? That means you can be saved, 100% saved in this moment, but God's not done with you yet. God's now rebuilding your personality, if you will, your thinking, your life. So what that means, we got saints that come come to God, they're, they're Holy Ghost filled as Holy Ghost filled can be. They're saved as saved can be. They're saved as the, as the 80-year-old grandma that's living for God, been living for God for 60 years. They're as saved as that person. And yet, when they walk out, they're going to light up a cigarette. Right? They're going to. I'm not saying they should. You didn't catch me wrong. They're going to struggle maybe with the drugs that used to hold their life. I think we ought to be real in the church. They're maybe still, they're saved, but they're still struggling with the pornography. They're still struggling with the illicit relationship that they know better, that they should not still be in. Good news is God doesn't immediately kick us to the curb or church would be empty on this Sunday morning. Empty. No one. God doesn't do that. He has patience with us. But I'll tell you what he'll do. I I would point at times somebody struggling. I'd say, hey, see that guy over there? That guy's our head usher. His name's David Hall. You may not know this, but David Hall used to have a, a terrible smoking habit. And he was saved. He was praying about it. He struggled with it. He had, he had the hardest time with it. Literally, if you looked at Dave's face about 15, 18 years ago, his face was a gray color. He had smoked for so long, his face was a gray color. But I say, you know what that guy right there? Jesus delivered him from his cigarettes. It was a battle, but God helped him. You look at his face now, it's healthy. It's got life to it. And I used that story for years. But can I tell you, I'm not using that story anymore because what I'm saying now is there's this, hey, there's this couple in our church, their name is J.P. and Christy. And they've been fighting because they love Jesus and they want that out of their life and they don't want to be blowing X number of dollars per pack a week and killing themselves in the process. So they prayed through it. They've sought God through it. And you know what? We've got a present living example of the delivering hand of God because... We're learning to trust in the Lord. And some of you have forgotten it's been so long, but, you know, when that's like, you know, that your body is calling for nicotine. And you're like, no, nicotine ain't going to be my God. I'm not going to have six inches of God rolled up between my fingers killing my lungs. No, I'm not doing that. I got a God. His name is Jesus. And I'm learning to trust in the Lord. Come on, I'm talking about that, that God gets people through spiritual struggles in their life. And we need people in the church that, that presently can say, I've learned to trust in God. I've got victory over some things that Holy Ghost help us. That I didn't used to have victory over, but I got victory over them now because the Lord has taken care of me. I'm not the same man that I used to be. Some of you say, I'm not the same woman I used to be. The Lord has done something in my life. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. I'm a brand new creature, and the Lord has delivered me, and I've learned how to trust
This life is not promised to be a bed of rose petals. Amen. So David's superscription, Psalm 18. He says, A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. In other words, he had walked through all of these difficulties of life. He had navigated trial after trial after trial after trial after trial, rejection, hurt, pain. And he's on the other side of it now. And he's looking back and he's saying, now that the Lord has delivered me from the hand of Saul and from the hand of my enemies, he said, now I got something to say. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. He said, now I got something to say. And this is what David said. David becomes the testimony. David says, the Lord is my rock. DeAndre, rock. Gabe, it's like concrete. Concrete. You guys work in concrete, right? <laughs> Smile, DeAndre. The Lord is my rock. He's solid. He's strong. He's impenetrable. The, he says, I'm on the other side of my trial, and what I found is the Lord is my rock. He says, the Lord is my fortress. What is he meaning by that? Because remember, David for, for years is running from this, this demon-inspired, terrible, wicked leader that's chasing him. And he's running through the mountains. and the, I mean, he didn't have a Ramada Inn that he could go stay at. He's running through the mountains and the hills. And he's finding, he's, oh man, the, his, the army of Saul is after me. And he'd run through the hills. And he would find a strong rock fortress that he and his men could run into. He could run into that fortress and know, I'm safe now from the enemy. I read somewhere where it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. David's like, I've got a fortress. The Lord is my fortress. He said, my deliverer. What does that mean? That means someone who has allowed him to escape. There was almost times, isn't it amazing in the Old Testament over and over again, that his enemy would be after him and almost have him. And at the last minute, he'd get a word from God. And it was like as they were circling the mountain, he'd get a word from God and they'd pick up camp and they'd go to the other side of the mountain. And the enemy would go to that side of the mountain and, oh, he's not there. And then God would speak to him again. He'd say, oh, go back to the other side of the mountain. Then he'd go to the other side of the mountain and the enemy would go to the other side of the mountain. And, oh, what do you know? He's not there. Because God over and over again, he delivered him. He delivered him. It happened so many times that he narrowly escaped that he knew that it was God that delivered him. So he would say on the other side of his trial, the Lord is my deliverer. He said, my God. Man, I didn't preach this in the nine, but I feel it right now. He didn't say your God. He didn't say Brother Lund's God. He didn't say the music leader's God. Come on, somebody. Come on, young people. Wake up back there. Wake up. He didn't say daddy's God. He didn't say mama's God. He said he's my God. You know what that means? God doesn't want to sit back and be spectators forever. There comes a point in time where we square our shoulders and we say he's my God. 
Let's put our hands together and magnify our God. He's my God. He's my, my God. He's my God. He's mine. You know why? Because I've, I've learned to trust in God. Furthermore, he said, my strength. He is my strength. He is my strength. He is my strength. You know what that means? Sometimes you feel weak. I mentioned the 9 o'clock. You guys are like, not me. I said this morning, I said, I thank God for masks. I yawned about 14 times in the worship service. <laughs> like, what is my problem? <laughs> I receive that. It has nothing to do with age. I receive that. There does come a point, though, you don't have the energy you used to have. Good news is, you know what I can say, though? The Lord is my strength. God is my strength. When I am weak, then I am strong. In my weakness, his strength is made perfect. When I'm weak, that's okay. We live in a world where everybody's got to be strong. Let me tell you what, you don't always have to be strong. It's a quiet Sunday morning. I'm okay with it. You don't always have to be strong. Sometimes you get in the presence of God and we have, we got to put our best faith on. I'm here, God. High faith. Sometimes you're not. You know why? Guess what? We're just people. We're just people. We don't have it all together. You don't have it all together. We don't have it all. Sometimes, you know what we got to do? We just got to say, God, right now, I don't know what to do, and I feel very weak. But thank you, Lord, that you're my strength. My strength is in the Lord. I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out. That's why I have a God. The Lord is my strength. He said, my buckler, that is not a belt buckle. That is a shield. The buckler is the shield. It's the shield that protects us from the blows of the enemy. When the enemy's shooting arrows at us and he's got his club and he's getting ready to club us, he said, the Lord is my buckler. The Lord is my shield. So when the enemy's trying to beat my brains in, thank God I got a God. I got a God and and God is is my buckler. He is my shield. When the enemy is shooting arrows of destruction at me, he extinguishes them. The Lord is my shield, says David. He says he is the horn of my salvation. What does that mean? A horn. It's an emblem of power. He is the horn of my salvation. He is my salvation. And furthermore, let me say this, Christian church of the living God, you're not saved. Yet, you're in the process of being saved, but you know what? None of us are saved until we hear the trumpet sound or we walk through gates of pearl. None of us are saved, finally, until that day happens. But the good news is, we've got a God that keeps on saving us. He saves me every day. He saves me tomorrow. He's in the process of saving me today. And I'm so thankful that the Lord is the horn of my salvation. He's in the process of saving me over and over and over and over again because he is the horn of my salvation. He is, David said, my high tower. My high tower. 
That's a stronghold that is not just a normal stronghold, but is a stronghold that is in a high place. I'm so thankful that the Lord can give us a vision. He can lift us up above the situations of life and the enemies that are against us and give us a high place that is above our temporal troubles and give us the ability to see what we can't see normally. I'm so thankful that, that, that we have been risen with Christ and we can see things that ordinarily we could never see. Thank God. Why? Because he is my high tower, says David. And probably one of the greatest statements he made is this. He said, in whom I will trust. He said, in whom I will trust. David is saying, I've had to learn how to trust in God. Trust. What does the word trust mean? It means to have confidence, to be secure, to be bold. The theological workbook of the Old Testament says all the derivatives have the same meaning, and that meaning is to feel secure, to be unconcerned. I've learned to trust, David said. David said, I've learned how to be unconcerned about the problems of life. I have learned how to have confidence. I've learned how to be secure and bold, even in the trial times of my life. Psalm 18 is a byproduct of that. Jim Brown tells the story, and the Lord helps him in showing him and speaking directly to him and saying that there is no problem and no situation, he said, that I can get into that God can't get me out of. He is a pilot, and he said, some years ago when I was learning to fly, he said, my, my instructor told me to put the plane into a steep and extended dive. And he said, as I put that plane into that steep and extended dive, he said, I was totally unprepared for what happened. He said, after a brief moment in time, the engine stalled and the plane began to plunge out of control quickly toward the ground. And it soon became apparent to, to Jim Brown. He looked over at his instructor who was doing absolutely nothing as the plane is plummeting toward the earth. And, and after a few seconds, which he said felt like an eternity, he said, my mind began to function again. And he said, I quickly corrected the situation and pulled myself out of, the, out of the stall and out of the dive. Immediately, of course, he turned to his instructor and was very angry and began to vent his frustrations upon his instructor. Where were you? How come you, you let that happen? To which his instructor calmly looked back at him and said, there is no position that you can get this airplane into that I cannot get this airplane out of. He said, if you want to learn how to fly, go up there and do it again. He said it was as if God was speaking to him and, and saying, as you serve me, there is no situation you can get yourself into that I cannot get you out of. He said, if you learn to trust me, it's going to be all right. I'm so thankful today that when God says, trust me, you can. When God says, trust me, we, we can do that. We can trust in God. There is no question the power, the ability. Our God is able to keep us. You say, well, why should I trust in the Lord? Why should I trust in the Lord? Well, he's got a pretty good track record. We got this big, fat, black book that shows us we can trust in God. And outside of that, guess what? As we live life, 
we can experience life in such a way that we, we can know for ourselves what he did for them will do for me. I'm learning to trust in the Lord. He's a smart God. I'm glad for that. And not only that, he genuinely loves you and he loves me. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He is a trustworthy God. We don't have to doubt that. Do any of you have money that you put into the bank? Anybody have money in the bank? You have $1,000 you put in the bank? I won't ask you how much money you got in the bank. But do you call the banker every Monday morning and say, hey, man, is my money still in that bank? <laughs> do you call on Tuesday the teller and say, go back into that vault, open up that bank vault, walk back into the bank vault, and I want you to make sure that my $1,000 is in the bank. Do you do that? <laughs> All right. Trust my brother. It's called the FDIC. They're banked with an insurance. I mean, it's thankfully they are, but most of us don't do that, though. We trust, right? We trust. We know that that bank is it, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. It's, it's safe. It's safe. You don't walk. You don't walk up to a light switch and look at that white light switch every time you go to flick and say, "Is this going to work? Is this going to work?" Right, Joe? I mean, hope not. Right? We trust that power is going to be there when we need it to be there. We just trust in that fact. We trust in that apparatus. Can I tell you something about God? He's a God that never fails. He's a God that's all-powerful. He's a God that's always true. And he is a God that ever and always we can trust in him that he will be what he said he will be. He will do what he said he will do. He is a God that can be counted on. And you and I can trust in the Lord. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. In some ways, I feel like it's like, you know, learning to ride a bike. How many remember what it was like learning how to ride a bike? It hurts, doesn't it? And hopefully we had good dads, not like the guy that said jump off the deck and just let him crash and burn. Right? And you, you get on that bike, and in the beginning, it's all, you're, you're kind of, you're shaky. Remember how, how afraid you are? When you first started to learn how to ride a bike, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. And you got like the big old helmet on. You got like the, the elbow pads, the knee pads. You're all padded up. I mean, you're ready for World War III. I'm going to learn how to ride a bike. And probably you ride for a little while and, and that bike falls over and you crash and you got some scrapes on your legs and your arms and you're like, I ain't never doing this again. Well, what does your dad do? He comes alongside you. He says, no, you're going to do this. He guides you along the way until ultimately he takes his hands off. And before you know it, you're riding. Amen. Takes a little time to get there, but we normally get there. Now, this is the adult version. This is the adult version. This is the mature Christian version. This is the I've been around church 40 years version. I've been around, Rev. You ain't telling me anything I've heard 47 times in the past year. 
then we find ourselves in the middle of our own trial. And we're doing this number. What am I going to do? How's it going to work? Like I said, Sunday, we're high faith. And then Monday, we're like, oh, no. What's going to happen? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? I'll tell you what we're going to do. The same process that we went through in learning this is the same process when you've been in church 53 years. And you're wondering, what do we do next? How's this going to work out? I'll tell you what worked out when I was a brand new baby Christian is the same thing that works when I've been around for 30, 40, 50 years. You know why? Because at the end of our life, all of us are going to be able to stand and testify and say, I've learned to trust in the Lord. Stand together with me this morning. I've learned, I've learned to trust in God. I've learned to trust in God. What's that mean? That means I am going to trust the Lord with my marriage. That means I'm going to learn to trust God with my family. There may be some that are here this morning, you're, you're single. You're saying, I don't want to be single anymore. I, you know, I want that right person for my life. And you know what? In that situation, same thing. We got to be able to say like David, I've, I've learned to trust in God. I will trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in God's plan for my life. If God's big enough to take me to his heaven, he's big enough to provide for me what I need in my life when I need it. Some of you may say, well, my finances are in distress and challenge and trouble. And if you're not there, like I said last week, I said, all of us are either coming out of a trial or going into a trial. But either way, we can say, you know what? I, I can trust the Lord with my finances. God's, God's going to take, take care of us. We've got people in church right now that are dealing with health crises in their life. Listen, Jesus does not walk out on us when we're going through a health crisis. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, I was there when you got the Holy Ghost, but you're on your own now. God doesn't do that. You know what we got to learn how to do, though? We got to learn how to trust. I will trust in the Lord, David said. When I'm walking through the trials of life, my future, what does my future hold? I'm going to trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. What do we say? What do you say we do that together today? Can we lift our hands to the Lord and reach out to God.